It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. All right, welcome back to Let Me Speak to the Governor. Tim Hughes along with Governor Gary Herbert. If it's all right with you, Governor, uh, we'll take our first caller here and get a question on the air. And that would be uh, James, who is actually on the line in Texas. James, nice to hear from you. Well, it's nice to hear from you, my good friend Tim, and good afternoon, Governor. Hi, Jim. Anyhow, basically, I was reading in the news where Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue is going to come out to Utah and meet with you, and I'm just wondering, do you think that the policies he's going to promote by the Trump administration for, say, things like forestry will benefit Utah? Well, it's a great question. Uh, I can tell you that uh, we've had really good results working with this administration, and uh, a lot of my Democratic colleagues, governors from other states, have appreciated the fact that there's a kind of an appreciation for the role that states play, more so than in past administrations, and at least a willingness to listen to our concerns and try to help us partner together to get better results. Certainly working together and with collaboration is uh, probably the right, the right process to get better outcomes. Uh, we've been working on what's called the roadless rule issue, a modification, and there's a lot of confusion about that out there, misinformation. Some of us probably purposely out there, but the roadless rule is designed to help us keep our forest pristine not have them over-trafficked. We want to have a modification of that rule, though, to give to the Forest Service itself, the United States Forest Service, not state, where they have at least more flexibility to have roads of some kind of temporary road as they would need it. They don't need to use it if they don't want to, but as they have a need for maybe thinning of some of the trees, some of the bad trees, uh, bark beetle kill, uh, the ability to come and scrub out the underbrush, uh, to do prescribed burns if they f- uh, so need it. Uh, there's a need to have some flexibility given to the United States Forest Service to have the optimal health that the forest can can be in, the condition that we'd like to see them. It's been done in other states, including Colorado and Idaho. I was up in Idaho, and they have much healthier forests out there, and part of that's because of the management that the Forest Service is able to do there with more flexibility, which is what we're petitioning uh, Secretary Patu and the Department of Agriculture to take a look at, to give themselves more flexibility. We know some out there want to make this into a political issue and are misrepresenting what the intentions are, like we're trying to open up for ATV use or, or some kind of mineral extraction or other things that they would think would be harmful. That is not the case. In fact, it has nothing to do with Utah. It only has to do with, in fact, uh, giving more flexibility to the United States Forest Service. That's under consideration now. I think there's an opportunity for the forest to become healthier with that amount of flexibility controlled by the federal government. But there's other issues that we shared. Uh, we signed yesterday a shared stewardship uh, agreement designed to make sure that we do have collaboration. I think all of us understand the important responsibility we have as people to be good stewards of the earth and all of its uh, functions out there, flora and fauna. The uniqueness of Utah is not lost on us, certainly here in Utah. 
and hopefully is not lost upon others around the country. And it needs to be a shared responsibility if we're going to have the optimal outcome that we'd like to have in protecting our public lands, our forest lands, et cetera, our national parks, those outdoor recreational opportunities, which we probably take too often for granted here in Utah. Uh, But I feel very good about Secretary Perdue and his willingness to listen and reach out and to to receive input from us. And I think the future is very bright uh, with this collaboration that we're engaged with now and, and signed an agreement yesterday to memorialize it in writing. I'm so glad that you, uh, you know, bring up and try and clarify some of the misinformation that's out there. But it, it seems like any time you start talking about the possibility even of turning over control or changing control of an area, the panic button is pushed by some. Well, some have their own agenda. Uh, I know some of the issues that happen here in Utah because we're ground zero for some of the controversy uh, being purposely made so is they put out information and they sensationalize it, they exaggerate, they use hyperbole, and then they say, please send us money. Yeah. So we're used sometimes as a fundraiser for some groups out there to raise money for their own cause and their own agenda. Uh, I'm trying to solve problems. I'm trying to find the optimal way for us to be good stewards of the earth, to make sure that we're environmentally sensitive in all that we do. The BLM Charter requires multiple use which means farming and ranching, agriculture, a big part of that, outdoor recreation, but also the ability for us to extract on the public land in appropriate environmentally sensitive ways, you know, minerals and energy opportunities. And and we see that in Utah. And I think we do a pretty good job of balancing that. And we have, in fact, what we call our balanced resource committee to make sure that we, in fact, approach this from a rational, balanced approach. Technology is helping us to do these things in more environmentally sensitive ways than ever before. So, again, I think we're doing things in a very good, reasonable, common-sense approach. And I think that's what this administration would like to see and what we as Americans should like to see in all of our states, not just here in Utah. We've got less than two minutes to get to news on the half hour. I want to ask you, and I know you came prepared with some good numbers, not just with our growth in jobs and our unemployment rate, but when it comes to elections, people watching the national news right now, it really feels like we're in the 2020 cycle already. <laughs> yeah. I and, did. Do, and, we, do we ever leave election cycle anymore? No. It's, it's just so long. It's frustrating for people. Um, but we do have municipal elections. Yeah, I guess I would like to emphasize we do have what I consider very important elections. I'm, I come from local government. I believe that's where the rubber really meets the road. Uh, I'm more of a bottom-up kind of a guy rather than a top-down micromanagement. And we have municipal elections. There are city mayors and council members, uh, maybe some road bonds out there, a lot of local issues that our public ought to be aware of and be prepared to, in fact, weigh in on. The good news that came out of the Pew Trust is that uh, our voter turnout this last election, we went from in 2014 where we're 45th in the nation to this last election of 2018, we jumped up to 13th. What do you equate to that? I, I, a lot of reasons. I think there's been a significant get-out-the-vote campaign, vote by mail. We make it easy. You can get to your, your ballot in the mail. You can study the issues over a two-, three-, four-week period of time to really understand the candidates and the issues. It's on your mind. You're thinking about it consciously and subconsciously, and you can do it at your leisure. Uh, rather than have to go on that one appointed time, that yeah. one appointed hour, you can sneak in during the day. So that's important. The issues drive it. Closeness of our congressional races uh, in the in the third congressional race, uh, the Medicaid, uh, mar- medical marijuana issue. I mean, there's things that drive people out. But let's keep going. Let's keep that trend going. 
Uh, I think that's important for all of us. It'll help us get better policy. More people participate, let their voice be heard, the better off we'll have with our representation from those who we elect to represent the views of the people accurately. Governor Gary Herbert with us for the entire hour here. Let me speak to the governor up and running. We have another call coming in from Salt Lake City. We'll get to that and some of your text questions in the final half hour. Make sure you stay with us here. Uh, the text uh, number, of course, is 57500. If you want to call and uh, get in line, you can join us at KSL Talk, 801-575-8253. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Tim Hughes hosting today along with uh, Governor Herbert, and we're grateful for his time. We're always short on time and so many questions that need to be answered. We have one call holding. If you want to join us, it's KSL Talk. 801-575-8255. Governor, I have to ask you, you've uh, been keeping your powder dry on whether you're going to run again or not. Uh, and I know you get that question a lot, but your lieutenant governor has said he will run. Does What does he know that we don't? Well, as I've said, uh, I have no intention of running again. I have no plans to run again. I've had a good run here, and it's probably time for a new set of eyes and ears and new energy and uh, and I think uh, that's going to be the future. I appreciate the fact that uh, Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox has decided to run. I think he's a very well-qualified individual. There's going to be other people running, obviously, in the race, and good people that will give us as Utahns, I think, a good choice of, of who we want to put in the governor's office uh, in the future. Uh, Spencer Cox comes with uh, a lot of background of experience not only in the private sector, running his own business very successfully as a CEO of a rural telecommunications company, but he's been a, a local mayor and city council member. He's been on the county commission. He served in the legislature, and, of course, for the last nearly five years, he served as lieutenant governor. So talk about somebody being prepared, somebody being trained, and understands how the system works. Plus, I think the most important thing, he's got the right demeanor. So he's got the skill set, demeanor, he deserves very uh, significant consideration on this race coming up from my perspective. So it'll be an interesting race. It's an open seat. It will be an open seat. And so a lot of people are going to want to, to to do it. Again, there's a lot of people out there that want to be governor, but as somebody who's been here and done that, it's not a matter of being the governor. It's a matter of doing governor. It's hard work. It's it's all consuming. And your 70-hour weeks are just that, 70-hour weeks. And, and so... It's a hard job, but a very rewarding job, and certainly our state is doing very, very well, thanks to a lot of people, uh, our legislators, our local government, our private sector business people. Uh, you know, it's just uh, we've got a spirit of collaboration and cooperation, which is unique, and it's producing very, very good positive outcomes. Uh, at the top of that list, as I mentioned earlier, is economic development. And right now we have the most diverse healthy economy in America today and in our history. Again, the diversification is one of the things we don't talk about much, but it's probably one of the things that we're the most proud about. It, that's just short of an official endorsement, isn't it? Uh, well, you're pretty close. Again, <laughs> who would you expect me to support? I, I, I picked him. I, I'm the one that picked him to be my lieutenant governor. Yeah. And and so he's done a great job. I yeah. mean, he all the accolades and all the success we've had, he's a big part of. And again, having the right demeanor to bring people together as a uniter, not a divider, help us all move in the same direction in a, in a spirit of cooperation. 
That's something Spencer brings to the table. I've spent a couple of rides with him on ATVs out out on some of the back country of Utah uh, and enjoyed my day with him. All right, I want to bring Bob in here into the conversation. Uh, Bob is in Salt Lake City and had a question about uh, that thing that you said keeps you up at night. Oh, yeah. That is our population growth. Go ahead with your question, Bob. You're on with the governor. Hello, Governor. Uh, I uh, I actually this this is uh, extremely coincidental. I uh, I had a uh, uh, piece, uh, an opinion piece, uh, printed in the paper today about the growth issue, and it, it, I, I am upset by government entities treating growth as inevitable um, because I believe that that takes the uh, onus off of government entities to do their job and responsibly control growth. Uh, Salt Lake City and Utah, unfortunately, are uh, have limitations of natural resources that we have already overwhelmed, water and air. And there are numerous things that government entities can do. Well, yeah. and I would ask the question a different way. How do you stop yeah. the growth? Well, it's it's a good it's a it's a challenge that we face certainly going forward is how do we accommodate growth? And you know, over the last 100 years we've added, you know, probably 4 billion people to the world's population. Uh, uh Mr. Malthius uh, said that by year 2000 we'd have mass starvation and and people would be dying and starving in the streets because of overpopulation. So there's always been that concern, can we accommodate the people and the growth? The truth of the matter is our birth rates are going down. So whatever the growth rates have been in the past, if you want to read a book called Factfulness, you'll find that the truth of the matter is our birth rates are going down. And as civilizations and countries improve from a, uh, you know, he has them divided into four classifications from a fourth, third, second, and we as America are the first uh, class, uh, birth rates do go down. That's happening in Utah. So the birth, the birth rate itself is going to slow down, which means we'll have less people here in Utah. We do have the attraction of being a great community, which we want to have. And and it's pretty hard to put out, you know, uh, uh, r- roll in the drawbridge and leave the moat out there and say nobody more can come in. Our own children and grandchildren and young beget young. We're, we're still the youngest population in, in America at a median age of 30 years of age. So we're going to have some internal growth, even though the birth rate is going down. And people are attracted. People vote by their feet. They're leaving, like California lost a million people last year. Uh, high tax rates, uh, the bad quality of life, you know, three-hour commutes to work, those kind of things, which we don't want to have happen here. That's why we're trying to put together a program. In fact, we'll celebrate it later today, what's called Your Utah, Your Future, which is the largest grassroots uh, polling ever done in American history where Utahns are weighing in and saying, this is what we want to see with education. This is what we want to see with transportation, infrastructure, water, economic development, all those things which go into building a community and what they would anticipate for our future, your Utah, your future. And we're trying to, in fact, accommodate that growth. So I don't think government can stop it. Uh, that's probably an appropriate role of government, so you can't have only one child or two children. Uh, we can, in fact, work to accommodate the growth so that as we have growth pressures that occur, which they are occurring, we can accommodate that growth with having a protection of our quality of life, which means environmental issues, infrastructure, education opportunities, 
and economic expansion, uh, job creation. All those things are really things that we need to focus on. And we're doing a very good job of that. We're, we've grown dramatically. Uh, when I was born, the population of Utah was a million. Uh, now, 72 years later, it's 3.2 million. Uh, and we anticipate it will double by 2065. And so the the challenge for us as government and we as a society as to what can we do to make sure that as we have that growth pressure that takes place, that we can make sure we have no diminution of our quality of life. We have resources. Uh, for example, we don't have an energy shortage. It's only a matter of what kind of energy are we going to utilize. It can be carbon-based fuels. Are we going to transition natural gas, solar, wind? Uh, there's all kinds of fuels out there that are cleaner, for example. They just may be more expensive. And uh, so we're going to be able to adjust. I have no fear of the future. In spite of the fact it's a challenge with growth, we will accommodate that growth and continue to improve. As we've done for the last 100 years in this country, people's quality of life has increased dramatically and better in spite of growth that's taken place. And the good news is that this conversation is being had at the highest levels of uh, government in the state of Utah and really in every state. And not only the highest levels, but we're going to the grassroots and talking to the people uh, and saying, what do you want to see your future to be? What would you like government to do? And uh, we're not. Uh, nobody said to me, we want to be like China and limit the number of children you can have. There is a concern about natural resources, environmental issues. We've reduced our pollution in a significant way. Along the Wasatch Front here, we've had three, uh, about 325,000 more people move in in the last decade here on, on the Wasatch Front. But at the same time, we've reduced pollution by 35%. We pollute less now than we did 10 years ago in spite of having a lot more people. Uh, again, we have the uniqueness of the topography and the weather control with inversions, which are not an excuse but a, but a part of our unique challenge. And we're meeting that challenge. So uh, at the policymaker levels, we're dealing with it, but we're incorporating discussion and input from all the population, so everybody can weigh on us, so we get policy correct that represents, as a republic should do, the will of the people. Part of this discussion, too, and we were talking about it during the news break, uh, is uh, with that growth is affordable housing, which is a real challenge right now and has been for a while. But I told you off the air, I have 20-something children who <coughs> desperately don't want to be put into that category of the kid living in their dad's basement and they try on several occasions to go out and they have a roommate that maybe doesn't work out uh you know that's sharing the rent with them and then they come back home and that puts them into a depressed uh you know cycle what do we do about that these days well this is not the first time we've had a an affordable housing challenge and it won't be probably the last again the business cycles the ups and downs of the economy certainly will continue to occur we're trying to do everything we can in Utah to flatten those out so we don't have boom and bust cycles. Uh, the fact we've diversified our economy so it's the most healthy, diverse economy in America today helps us smooth out the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. Now, along with those things come as we have demand for housing. Again, we're the fastest growing state in America today. And so the demand for housing's increased. We're providing a lot of housing stock. We are number one. In America, when it comes to building new homes and creating housing stock, unfortunately, it's not up with the demand. The demand is still higher. And so government uh, can get in the way, which it does too often, by restricting what you can do with your zoning ordinances, the density, rather than have uh, three uh, homes per acre, which is kind of traditional. We could go to six or eight or 12, higher density, zero lot lines, 
Um, we're going to be building probably smaller, more economical homes than we've done in the past to provide an affordable housing stock for those who are on the first rung of the economic ladder that need a place to rent or a place that they could buy that's affordable. Interest rates are low. Uh, boy, I can tell you, in my real estate career back in the 1980s, we were paying 16% Crazy. for mortgage money. Today it's 4 Now We can buy a lot more house for the same amount of money today yeah. with our amortized loans. So it's a great time to be a, a, an owner. And uh, I know that there's developers and realtors out there and home builders that say, I'd like to provide uh, the stock for what the demand of the marketplace is if I just had proper zoning, which would allow me to do this. So we call upon our local communities that really control the zoning, our building codes, et cetera. Let's see what we can do together to make sure that the market can respond to the demands of affordable housing. And yet that's a delicate balance uh, because government, as you said, can get in the way of this and become part of the problem. We've, we have some cities, one city in particular I won't mention the name, that says we don't want affordable housing in our community. We want to have the big, large estate homes and yards, and that's what we're going to be kind of the queen bee of the area. And uh, and I've said to them, well, you're going to make sure that your children then can't live in your own hometown because they probably won't be able to afford that kind of housing, certainly at the beginning of their career. And uh, so, you know, that's the city fathers. Sometimes they have an idea. Sometimes they'll change. That's why we have elections and have a better attitude towards that. Uh, every city under our legislation, statute currently on the book, should be providing opportunities for affordable housing in their community. Now, they're not all doing it, and that law is kind of being ignored, but it's kind of top of mind. And so I think there's going to be a lot more pressure, certainly working with our local communities, uh, cities and, and towns and, and counties, to provide opportunities for the developer, those who build houses, to provide a more affordable housing stock with zoning that will co- uh, cooperate with them, to help them do that. That's really a higher density kind of a, an issue. I have a question for you that I was curious about myself, and that is with all the dysfunction that's going on in Washington, and as we sit here, we're watching some of the headlines and crawls that go across the screens in front of us. With all the dysfunction in Washington, how tough does that make your job at the state level, or are we still holding strong to what our founders uh, designed and keeping the states able to move nimbly while the federal government sort of bogs down here? Well, I think most all of us are disappointed that the dysfunction, the lack of any success in getting things done in Washington, D.C. Part of that's by design. It's never been easy, and our founding fathers were smart to make sure that the federal government can impact negatively all the states at once. You know, that's the one-size-fits-all. And if you get the wrong size and try to make everybody fit into it, it may not work in uh, only a handful of states and the rest not. So... Under the concept of federalism, which is where the states are partners with the federal government, and as Ronald Reagan famously said, we created the federal government, we the states, not the other way around, more responsibility was always designed to be at the state level. James Madison, the father of our Constitution, said that the powers given to the federal government are few and defined. Few. Mm. Emphasis on few. Article 1, Section 8 of our Constitution. But the powers given to the states are um, numerous and indefinite. Numerous, opposite of few, and indefinite. That's where the states, and, and today yet, as we look at how we spend our taxpayers' dollars, which is kind of where we prioritize, we find the federal government spends two and a half times more money, two and a half times more money than the combined spending of all 50 states. That's crazy. They're spending $4.2 trillion 
and uh, taking in a trillion dollars less than that, which ought to cause us all pause. So the best hope for America, in my view, having been around this for about the last 14 years as lieutenant governor and governor, is the states. The states are delivering solutions to people's problems much more effectively, more efficiently, uh, certainly with less cost to the taxpayer. We do it in a hurry. And if they do it wrong in Texas, it doesn't impact Utah. Uh, we will maybe learn from the mistakes made in Texas and improve it how we do it in Utah and vice versa. All 50 states, as they're referred to, as laboratories of democracy, finding innovation and ways to solve the unique problems that they find in their region is what needs to be empowered. We ought to devolve power out of Washington back to the states. We would all be much better off. Well, and the good news, under your leadership, many of those states look to us for uh, some things that they could do better where they are. Let me ask you, because you got into the tax thing there, uh, changing our tax system in the state of Utah has been very much a part of the conversation. This week, the Utah Taxes Now conference took place, and uh, Majority Whip Hemmert said, hopefully we'll look at anything and everything. He said, that means crazy ideas need to come out. We need to get everything on the table. Will we have a special session to deal with this before the year's end? Well, it remains to be seen. But what I do like is the fact that he's saying, as he should say, and the tax uh, task force that's been created should be saying to the people of Utah, everything's on the table. Uh, we will listen to every idea. We will uh, leave no stone unturned about the possibility of uh, having a better, more effective tax system in Utah. One that minimizes the tax obligation to the individuals. Uh, one that will allow us to fund the necessary core needs of government that we, the people, think are important. And provide an atmosphere where the economy can continue to grow and prosper. Uh, those are, are the goals we want to have. And I expect that when it's all said and done, there should be a significant tax cut to the people of Utah in whatever we come up with. Uh, I'm much more inclined to make sure we do it right rather than quick. If we can have a special session, which was the desire of the legislature, uh, as we could not get this thing taken care of in our last session, uh, so be it. That we could have a special session in September. Um, but if we don't, we'll have it in the general session. Uh, again, it's important that we do something. Everybody agrees pretty much that we should be doing something. Yeah. Uh, the status quo is not acceptable. That creates its own set of problems. So everybody agrees we should do something. What they don't agree on is what that something is that we should do. <laughs> well, and Representative Spenlund says it's important for us to get it done right, not necessarily right now, uh, but to, you know, be moving ahead in this I, process. I agree. Again, it's a, it's, no, it's a tough issue. It's complex. And everybody's happy about doing it as long as it doesn't raise the taxes in my area yeah. of responsibility. You know, raise the taxes on somebody else, that's okay. Even if that means, and we say broaden the base and lower the rate, even that means that all of us as Utahns pay less taxes next year than we paid this past year, if it impacts my service or my widget, well, I'm not too happy about that. Yeah. And that's just kind of human nature, I think. But overall, we're going to come up with a good tax policy moving forward. Gustavo, do we have to take another break? All right, let's do that here. And we'll come back with our final thoughts wrapping up this hour of Let Me Speak to the Governor here on KSL. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. We literally have about 90 seconds left to finish out this hour of Let Me Speak to the Governor with uh, Governor Gary Herbert. And I can tell you as I give my final thoughts that when I watch these news headlines of all that's happening in other states around us, I'm so glad that uh, as an adult, I'm trying to think of how many years ago it was now, I came to Utah. My entire adult life was here, born in Idaho, but uh, I'm a proud Utahn. And 
your leadership, I think, has gotten us to where we are today, and we're in a good place. Well, it's it's been a lot of work by everybody. Again, I really do believe in the team concept, and I use the acronym T uh, T E A M together. Everyone achieves more, and the collaboration, the working of everybody together, has put us in a good place. We started the, uh, talking about prayer and moisture, and uh, we need to reprioritize. We need to continue to pray. And one of the things we got to say is, I'm grateful to be from Utah. Utah is a great place to live, to raise a family, and to do business. And although we're not perfect, uh, we are certainly on the right road, going in the right direction. And that's a tribute to the people of Utah, 3.2 million people all trying to pull together for, to do what's best for their communities and the neighborhoods they live in, raise their kids right, straight and true, help prepare them to become the rising generation of leaders, which we need to have. Our education system is doing some great things. Our parents are doing some great things. We have good policy. It's Good to be from Utah. I'm grateful and proud of what the work we're doing, and so I'm thankful that I'm from Utah. Yeah, we talk about the you know the uh, challenges with growth. There's a good reason why people want to live here. Uh, thank you for your time this hour, Governor. Good to see you. Thank you, Tim. Look to see you again. That'll do it.